Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy and we've got a great guest today. I've known Rebecca Grimes for quite a few years and now she is CMO at Ruby. Now the interesting part about her being CMO, like another recent guest, she also oversees the sales organization. So today we talk about the idea of how do we adapt There's a lot going on in our world right now, a lot in our businesses. And sometimes it can actually present opportunities. Even in a business like theirs, which is very focused on small businesses, you would think there'd be a massive impact, but they manage to leverage data. They manage to leverage coordination between sales and marketing to figure out how can they adapt quick and take advantage. And through that, they've grown adding 200 people to surpass 700 people as a team just in the last 10 months. Very exciting company, very exciting story. And Rebecca's path is really interesting too. She's taken a path where she's ensured that she's a well-rounded marketer. And it's interesting because a lot of the times I get to speak to marketers on this podcast who took a path through product marketing or took a path through content, different paths to get to that leadership opportunity. In Rebecca's case, she's gone a little bit with a tour of duty as I called it. You will hear all about that right now, my sit down with Rebecca Grimes. Rebecca, thanks for stopping in to chat with us about your journey. Let's start with your career and you are the CMO at Ruby. Where did this come as an opportunity in front of you? Well, uh, I actually had the opportunity to work with the CEO, Kate Winkler, many years ago in my career. In fact, two different companies. And uh, when she joined Ruby, I was incredibly excited for her. And when I was at at my previous employer, and started thinking about what could be next for me. Um, I reached out to her for some counsel on what might be some good opportunities for me to align what was really important to me from a vision and a values perspective and a company culture. Uh, at this point in my career, I, I value those things way more than the actual product that starts with the, the value and the, and the company and the culture. And then I look for alignment around something I, c- I can get really passionate about. And so through those conversations, we, we reconnected. And then several months later, she picked up the phone and, and started to talk about an opportunity at Ruby. That's great. And, you know, you hear those stories, but it's it's tricky to think about your journey, your career, and when certain people may come back. Did you keep in touch with Kate over the years to get to that point? Or was it something, you know, that kind of came out of nowhere? You know, we did. She was a first time CEO when I met her and I was a first time manager running marketing. And uh, I was brought in at a time where the company was getting packaged for an exit in 18 months. And so we worked incredibly closely through that project. And I learned a lot about leadership from her at the time. And I think that, uh, you know, as you as you move in your career, you meet people that you just connect with. And um, and she was one of those people. And so when an opportunity would then follow six months after after the sale of that company to join her again, I I obviously jumped on it and then and then and then we divested in our in our career paths, um, but obviously kept in touch and uh, and closely followed kind of what each other was doing. 
sometimes you meet people in your career when they pick up the phone, you answer the phone, regardless of what that ask might be. And I have a very short list of people and she definitely was already on that list. That's great. It's such a nice uh, full circle story. And, you know, we talk about circle. When I look at your career and the different stops that you've had, companies like Vibes, Power Reviews, I mean, great brands and great companies before this Cheetah Digital, your path of leading up is, is quite broad. And, you know, I've got some people who have been on this podcast who say, you know, my, my strategy was I'm going to be a expert product marketer and that's going to be my, you know, how I define myself as a CMO or different disciplines. I know when, when we chatted, you said you, you intentionally went and kind of did a tour of duty. What did that look like and how did you plot that? Yeah, it actually, it started very interesting because my, my degrees in journalism, I actually did spend one year postgraduate as a newspaper reporter. And I, I realized very quickly that what I loved about uh, the, the journalism and the writing aspect was really the storytelling and the capturing of the audience. And I, I missed kind of the, the thrill of the of the hunt of some of the other roles that I did, you know, in undergraduate in, in terms of actual building relationships with people outside of, you know, what what it encompassed the role that I played as a reporter. So I pivoted and and, and leaned on my undergrad work um, from college and from my experience leading up uh, throughout those years. And I knew very early on that I was drawn to leadership. I ran the, the school newspaper when I was at, uh, at college and editor-in-chief of a staff of 60. And so I just, I knew that that was something that I wanted to do eventually. And if I was going to go all in on marketing, I wanted to make sure that I could do all of the disciplines of marketing to ready myself for an eventual leadership role running uh, running that function. The interesting thing is as I progressed throughout my career and and mastered in a sense all of the different disciplines that I thought were requirements for me, uh, I also intentionally wanted to spend some time in sales and I did that at Vibes. And it was really important for me to carry a bag and to understand what that meant and how the, the intersection of those two teams was this healthy friction. But I, I, I'd also seen in my career where unhealthy friction led to to stalled growth for organizations. And so I did spend a little over two years uh, in the sales organization at Vibes because it was important for me to be on the other side of the receiving end of what marketing delivers and how do we then convert that into revenue for an organization. So I'm glad you brought up the Vibes experience because I, I know you spent about five years there and there was a split between overseeing marketing and overseeing, as you said, sales. I'm first curious, you know, did you put your hand up when there was an open opportunity or were you asking for this to be a shift? Again, you talk about intentionally doing this tour of duty to be a well-rounded CMO. We had turned over the sales team twice in my first two years running the marketing organization. And there was a lot that was happening in the company. They were completing their pivot from being a commodity-based business to being an enterprise brand and retail mobile messaging platform. And so there was a lot of work that we had done from a marketing perspective to reposition the company to launch mobile wallet as the first to the market. And so there was a lot of great work that we had done on that front end, but we kept cycling through sales team members that were just not um, effectively ramping and then uh, executing on on selling the value of Ruby. And so when we brought in new leadership in the sales organization, I wanted to go solve that. So I, I actually had lunch with him and said, I want to be part of figuring out how to accelerate the growth of this business. And I think we figured it out on the marketing side. And I'd love to partner with you um, on the sales side and do that work alongside you. That's how I transitioned out of out of marketing into sales. And I, again, it, with that intentionality, I 
the perspective that you gain in terms of what a qualified lead looks like and, and how you deliver messaging that is brand messaging different than it is buyer journey messaging. And there was just this epiphany that I had in my time there that just helped me become a better marketer on the other end. That's great. And, you know, there's something different, though, about going out and saying, I'm going to partner with or I'm going to align into a role on the sales org. Today, though, at Ruby, as CMO, you oversee marketing and sales. So it's one thing, again, to kind of inject yourself. It's another thing to pitch to the CEO or the board to say, give it all to me. What did your pitch look like? Yeah, you know, obviously I had discipline um, in both sales and marketing leading those organizations. Uh, what I had found is that my most successful time leading marketing organizations was this incredible partnership that I had with the CRO within the organization. And at Power Reviews, that was really something that that came to light and, and something that clicked um, working with Todd Capone uh, at, during that time. And, and so when this opportunity presented itself, I... I thought it could be the best of both worlds that we could break down this friction of I have an MQL target and that's what I deliver to the business. And then sales having this, this MRR target of what I need to deliver to this business. And this oftentimes uh, unintentional finger pointing that sometimes happens between those organizations. And, and the root of it, it, in my opinion, just really starts on alignment about what our responsibilities are to the organization. And there is no success that we celebrate together that isn't our team's success. So there is no high-fiving that happens in sales and marketing isn't along in that line of getting those high fives. And conversely, when we need to double down and dig deep on how we are going to get back on track, it is a collaborative effort between sales and marketing. And I think that, again, the, the fact that the strategy is executed in a way that is aligned with my leadership team uh, and, then, and then falls down into the rest of the organization means that I have marketers every day in data using the data to forecast whether or not we're going to achieve our monthly and quarterly targets. And, and that transformation, I think, just happens because of the, the leadership alignment around this is what we have a responsibility to the business to deliver. So I really like the strategic lens of that. And without getting too into the weeds, I'm curious on a day-to-day from a direct report perspective, how many direct reports do you have on the marketing side versus the sales side? Is is it equally weighed or do you have like one VP of sales, if you will, reporting into you and then, you know, the traditional headcount on the marketing side? Yeah, so I have a I have a VP of sales, and then we've got a director of sales operations. So that's the the two sales leadership team that I have. And then on the marketing side, I have a VP of brand and growth marketing, and then I have a VP of partnerships and strategic marketing, which is where our partner and our product marketing function um, sits. And then I have a director of marketing operations. And so that we affectionately call my SMLT, my sales and marketing leadership team. And then obviously they've got directors that uh, that execute below them with their teams as well. That's great. And, and you know, for people listening in for perspective, from what I know about Ruby, like over 500 people. At We're Ruby. now over 700. We have hired over 200 people during the pandemic. Uh, it has wow. been, we moved all of our employees remote and we've remotely hired and trained another 200 people on top of it. It has been, uh, it's been quite a, quite a first 10 months here at Ruby. That's great. And that's, that's actually a great transition. We're going to take a break before we transition, but I want to talk about how you're going to market right now amid all these changes that you've had and some great growth from the sounds of it right back after this break on the marketer's journey with Rebecca. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? 
look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So I just want to pause on this chat I'm having with Rebecca and reflect back on this importance of staying in touch with our network, staying in touch with the people that have been part of our career. And too often we kind of separate as soon as we leave a company or someone leaves our company. And there's such an opportunity to expand our network in that way. Don't get me wrong, LinkedIn networks are great. All of our first connections are really powerful, but having an ongoing dialogue, understanding how your career can benefit from the learnings of people who are around you. And this is something that I try and do. I'm not gonna tell you that I do it well, but touching base with people who have been part of our team, you know, just randomly understanding how they've evolved, why they took a recent opportunity. In the case of Rebecca, you actually heard that it came full circle where she got to work in an environment in a leadership opportunity because of her network. And I think for all of us, our network can come back in such positive ways. So Rebecca, when we talk about go-to-market, it has been long enough in this pandemic that we're not in the early stages of what's going to happen next. You know, we've we've all been at this long enough, and you've actually seen a huge shift in how you need to respond to your customers and even new opportunities. Tell us a little bit about how that's unfolded. You know, Ruby is a live virtual receptionist and chat company that works with more than 10,000 small businesses. And so when the pandemic first hit and shelter in, in place orders were kind of executed across the country, that impacted our small businesses in a big way. You know, we we immediately not only felt the pain of, of you know, our, our longtime customers needing to stop service with us, but also new customer signups starting to to stall because they, they there was so much uncertainty that was happening. And as a result of that, you know, we we made a commitment at Ruby that we were not going to lay any employees off, which meant that squarely fell on my team's shoulders that we were gonna have to figure out how to grow this business in the middle of a pandemic. And my my team got together and they dug into data and they started analyzing pattern um, behavior and how could we identify segments of our existing business that were the ones that were still thriving even in the middle of this pandemic. And then how did we create lookalike modeling to go um, tell the Ruby story to more of those businesses that might also be in need of our services. And so people were starting to shut down storefronts and didn't know how to move their offices and their phones to remote locations. And and while they were still servicing their customers, they didn't have a storefront anymore. So there was a lot of dynamics that were in play. But what eventually happened as a result of really us, us pausing and digging into the data was that a new ideal customer profile, an ICP for us emerged. And that was um, this idea of 
a larger small business. So the majority of our customer base were these, you know, three to five smaller, what we call it micro businesses that are family run and, you know, everything from solo practitioner attorneys to, you know, husband and wife teams that run a small plumbing business. And so really the CPA, so the the small micro business, and then um, what we found is that some of these larger multi-attorney practices or these larger home services companies were similarly overwhelmed and inundated with how to navigate this. And so we started selling larger plans. So not only did we kind of identify the segments where they were least impacted, but we also started delivering different services. Uh, We accelerated the launch of 24-7 support. So we were going to go support home services, which I don't know about anybody else, but like I've had a plumber and an HVAC and my refrigerator, like all the demands on the things in the house required a lot of people to come into my house in the middle of pandemic. So those were very highly impacted in a positive way businesses that were overwhelmed with how to navigate uh, the new business that was headed their way. And so, so we adjusted our services offering. We created new packages and pricing to help better service both of these ideal customer profiles. And then at the end of the day, we also created this small business. It was the small business unusual campaign, and it was really geared towards helping provide resources. It wasn't a demand gen. It was really this authentic, we want small businesses to figure out how to survive knowing that a lot of them are not going to be able to rebound um, from, from the shelter in place orders. And so that, uh, that has been a lot of the work that we've done. And it's actually impacted our kind of future looking go-to-market strategy and the way that we think about delivering services and products to service kind of these larger SMBs as, as well as these you know emerging, just getting started small businesses as well. That's a great story. And, and, you know, kudos to your team for responding and adapting so quickly. I think in, in a lot of marketers I've spoken to, it's, it's those who said, this is definitely going to impact us, but how do we view this as an opportunity? I, I want to break down two parts of this story, though, and, and better understand. So the first part I'm interested in is how you found this ICP. You know this opportunity, and and uh, you know I want to go back to the first part of our chat where you've got sales and marketing. So who really? I mean, if you had to give the real reward here on the team, was this you know listening to the sales reps and listening to the incoming inbound opportunities and realizing we can go after this, or was this truly just research and gut based on the marketing team? It, it definitely was research and gut based, but you know, we also, when I joined the organization, we switched from a counting signups to an MRR model. And had we not done that work in the early first part of the year, it wouldn't have allowed us to create these new additional packages where the sales team wasn't selling anything outside of our entry level plans. And so once we pivoted and started pulling new leads into the funnel that were these larger opportunities, bit of luck, a lot of gut and, um, and and art and science that went behind that. But then we also saw the sales team being able to sell in, you know, our plans on our on our site started, you know, $199 a month and they go up to $1369 and beyond. And so we started to see those larger customers coming into the funnel um, because they didn't know what to, you know, either they were laying off, unfortunately, an office manager and they needed somebody to handle all of their call volume for them or they were having an overwhelming amount of traffic on their site and they needed to convert that traffic into paying customers. And so it just created this opportunity for us to use the data. And then the sales team had to pivot in the way that they they started being more consultative in the way that they were selling to those larger customers. They are more sophisticated. They tend to 
also do more research on your competitors and you've got to really be really clear on the differentiation of your of your service offering in order to win those deals and they they're longer sales cycles and so there was a lot of collaboration and alignment that needed to happen in order for us to be successful on that and i credit all of that to my leadership team that's great uh i i also commend i i checked out some pages on your website uh and there was a price package that you know really played to the realities of the world i think it was called open we stand or something of the sort um which i just thought really showed an an adaptation to you know what people are going through at this time so you know really impressed on that front yeah i don't take credit for that that was actually GoDaddy's initiative and we attached ourselves um as one of their partner programs to create a special offering for them they had made a commitment in looking for companies to uh to support small businesses and um so uh, so we did create our package to support it yeah that's great so you know i, I want to build off that with i i told you I had a second question and and i think a lot of people listening to this and trying to apply okay well what did Rebecca do and what can I do on my team are trying to think, okay, well, what are those quick changes I could make? And I think, you know, the first step for a lot of us is something like our homepage. You know, what, what changes do we make to our homepage? In your case, what were two or three quick changes you were able to make once you identified this ICP that were quite tactical, um, that allowed you to say, we can actually serve this buyer? Yeah, I think that, you know, from a core segment perspective, you know, there were there were segments that we started to see some growth in that weren't necessarily identified and profiled on our site. And so understanding again, the, you know, we we're a people powered business and that human connection is so important to us. And so how do we get those um, authentic stories of our customers in those segments to help explain the value of Ruby and create that differentiation from a traditional answering service versus, you know, this full human powered connection that we create on behalf of our customers. And so that piece of it was the easier part. What are the segments that we think um, need us the most right now and how do we deliver content to them? But the website in itself from a homepage perspective, we wanted to really reduce the friction to understanding who we are and what we delivered. And so there was a there was a lens of simplicity that was applied to our website and then a value kind of exchange definition of, you know, what, you know, this is a problem. What does, you know, what do I get by working with Ruby? And so that that lens was something that we were very quickly on top of and then iterated and did A-B testing and tried to understand um, what was working and what what wasn't. And, and obviously that's a never you know, ongoing project for all marketers, but it was really critical for us in the beginning to double down on paying attention to website traffic at the very beginning and, and how that was converting into MQLs for us. So, so those, those are great things to put, put people's attention to. There's one I'm curious, just again, given the, the roll up of sales and marketing, and, and this is one we've debated on our team is how aggressively do you ad- adapt the sales deck? You know, the, the deck that's being pitched to your customers in these times has to change. Who makes that change on your team? Is that a marketing-owned asset or is that a sales-owned asset? Well, I'm going to pivot slightly. Um, we actually don't use decks. Um, our small business owners, um, they often find us and about 40% of those uh, those customers that engage with us are single day closes for us. And so there's some arc of pain that uh, that they seek us out and find us and whether or not that's a competitor of ours failing them or a sense of urgency around solving for a specific business problem. Um, so a lot of what we do is phone conversation and connecting to them that we don't even actually 
95% of the time use any video. So our priority wasn't necessarily around the evolution of the sales deck. It was around the nuances of the different challenges that each of the different business segments were facing. And what that also forced us to do was to look at our data and say, did we have enough segment and sub segment definition to then help better prepare the salesperson for having that conversation and then aligning the personas to that. So the sales deck didn't necessarily evolve until a later piece when obviously some of those some of those conversations evolve into, you know, tell me about Ruby and how it works. But our website is a is a sales tool that we use as well as um, as the phone, ironically, as a as a reception services business as well. So, yeah, well, ironically, it feels quite suiting. It, it seems like there's probably an opportunity to optimize on your end in terms of the conversations that are happening. I know yep. there's a lot of great tech out there today, companies like Gong and Chorus that that do a lot of that. Have, have you yep. have you explored with any of those solutions yet to, to better optimize on that front? We do. Um, um, so we recently actually flipped most of the tech stack that we use um, at, uh, at Ruby. And about probably three months ago at this point, we uh, we switched to Ring DNA for both telephony and um, and sales outreach and cadence management. And so that's been um, a really helpful tool for us to just better understand, again, when that first call doesn't successfully close, uh, what happens next? And if it did close, what happened that worked so well? And we even break that down further by looking at sales channel performance in terms of did it come in through the phone? Did it come in through a web form? Or we closed a deal this morning that was uh, a customer we interacted with five years ago, and they've just been nurtured for five years and finally came back and and uh, and are ready for Ruby. And I think that that's um, that's you know obviously it, it predates me, so I give a lot of credit to the uh, you know to the previous leaders here. But that's um, that's the type of connection that we want to make with small businesses. Even if you're not ready to buy, we hope you see value in engaging with us for content. That's great, Rebecca. And, and honestly, that last answer really sums up why sales and marketing belongs reporting into you. I mean, you you hit on every element of the buyer journey there from long tail content to ultimately optimizing the conversations happening with the sales rep. Uh, that obviously is what it means to be a modern day CMO. And, and I thank you for sharing with us today. We're going to keep you around just for another short bit right here after a short break on the marketer's journey. So I just asked Rebecca the question of how do you make these split second decisions to adapt your strategy? And that's what a lot of us have been pushed towards. And I think for some of us, we've gone on research or on gut or on feedback from the sales team as I asked her. But I, I was reflecting on a survey I read. This came from a, a research study with PwC this past summer, right in the heart of this pandemic. And one of the questions that they asked people was, what are some of the changes that are gonna be important to rebuilding your revenue? And some of the top ones I'm gonna give you, one was products or services. 63% of people said changing our products or services would be key. Another one was pricing strategies at 41% and almost a third said distribution channels and customer segments. You hear Rebecca talk about the strategies that they looked at and the ones that are paying off for them. It really involves reinventing our businesses. And I think a lot of us may be sitting here saying, how are we gonna recover from COVID if we are not accelerating or decelerating in our business? The reality is in some cases, we have the opportunity to go and look as you hear from Rebecca talk about an ICP and say, who is our ICP now? or what products do they need from us? Or how do we have to price slightly differently? 
these are things that my team did as well. We did this early in, in the pandemic and it's allowed us to have really strong quarters as we get deeper into the effects that continue to, to trickle. So it's really important for us to look at adapting our business. And I think Rebecca's doing a fantastic job with that. All right, Rebecca, we've unpacked a couple of journeys for you, your career, the buyer journey. How do you take a break from those work-based journeys and find time for family, for yourself, especially amid the changes in the world and how connected we are? I like to get out of the office and walk. And so whether I'm forcing one of my uh, one-on-ones to turn into a walking one-on-one or I'm walking my son to my in-law's house to drop him off for the day, that that is time where, uh, you know, we're not necessarily with a formal agenda in front of us. And, um, and those conversations tend to, um, even with my son, as we're walking over, tend to uh, lead to just this Zen place for me of, uh, you know, it, it, there is a lot of important work that we are doing, but the current state of situation has me getting up and making my children breakfast in the morning. And before this, I was traveling to Portland from Chicago three weeks out of the month. Honestly, in my entire career, I've never gotten up and not gotten the kids out the door. I, you know, I, I haven't had that opportunity. And so I, I shut things down at a certain time. It is a little bit more flexible for me in the mornings because uh, Portland is where our, where our home office is and that's where the majority of our, our folks are. So they're still in bed when I'm up and uh, getting my day started. And then I have a couple of quiet hours in the morning before everybody gets online. Um, it, it makes it a little harder at the end of the day because my dinner time, everybody is still uh, is still running through meetings, but I block out times on my calendar that are just no scheduled, have to ask me if you want to schedule over it. And um, and that's been helpful in kind of creating those boundaries. And then, you know, one of the things that we've, we've also done as a family is, you know, we sit down and we do this circle at the end of the day and we talk about our day and, you know, our, our, our favorite parts and things that we've learned. And again, I, I, I haven't had the opportunity to, to connect with my family in that way. And, Absolutely. and the, the devices are in the other room there, you know, there is no interruptions, even if a phone is ringing, it stays in the other room and, um, and it gets back to when we're done. And I think it's just really important to set those boundaries and stick with them, knowing that you have to be flexible sometimes, but, um, but the, you know, this, the, there's a lot going on and you, and you have to stay focused on the things that are important. Yeah, you're seizing the opportunities that this has created. And, and I love that circle discussion at the family table. Uh, my wife coins it, uh, I think this is a known term, but roses and thorns of the day. Yep, exactly, uh, yep. <laughs> so, so you got to talk about one good thing and one bad thing of the day. And it's, it's a good way to reflect. Uh, even if it's a bad day, frame it with a positive or, you know, Build, build the negatives into what we have to roll with. And uh, it sounds like you're doing a great job with that, especially on the team. Uh, so kudos to you and everything going on at Ruby. People will be following along. Uh, thanks so much to Rebecca. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. If this is the first marketer's journey you're catching, tune in and take a look at some of the other great guests who have all shared different stories, different journeys. Yours is being created as you go. Until next time, thank you to Rebecca and thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 